Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. It is June the 23rd in the morning as we do this. And neither one of us, as we often say on the show, is a morning person. We are not. Actually, I had a friend, um, Jonathan Katz. Do you know who oh, he is? I think we actually did a oh, podcast. Oh, that's right. We did a podcast with him. With him. Yeah. So he had a joke. We were doing, we were taping a show and he wanted to do, uh, do a new joke and he ran it by me before he did his set. Yeah. And somebody had invited, he, he had to go to a funeral and he said, you know something? I'm just not a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great. Yeah. What's weird about it is I did mornings for, well, you and I did mornings in New York City. Before that, I was doing mornings in uh, here in LA. And my life for 20 years was doing mornings. And it's almost like my body has revolted against me. And uh, anything before 10 a.m. is just no good for me. No good until 10 a.m. Yeah, well, you know, I, we only did mornings for a short period of time, but I think being a comedian for so long and staying out really, really late, you know, coming home at like four or five o'clock in the morning, um, when I was living in New York in the heyday of my doing comedy, I wouldn't get up till like two o'clock in the afternoon. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Because so, you were working late, right? Working late. And then and then you're just you're just like hyped up you know after shows yeah so yeah. you know you go out and there were after hours bars and you know so oh, we're hanging out at someone's house till four o'clock in the morning yeah so uh so today is a special day sue it's a special day it is national kissing day really yeah national kissing day kissing has its own day Wow. So I thought it would give us an opportunity before we get to our guest, uh, the the really funny Dion Cole. Uh, what was your first kiss? Describe the circumstances of it. How old were you? How did it happen? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I'll go first. Like makeout I, kiss? Like yeah, makeout kiss? kiss. No, like just kiss, kiss, kiss with a boy. Um, I, I think it was this guy Ricky Rothschild, and it was in. Probably fifth grade, maybe. Fifth grade. Wow. You were you were on it early. I was. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and how did it go? How what was the how did the story go? Well, you know, we he was my boyfriend in elementary school. <laughs> Your elementary school boyfriend. <laughs> Those are always the most serious relationships, aren't they? Oh God, I was so upset when we broke up. Was it, it was at like school? my life is over? Was it at home? Was it where where did it happen? I think it was in his room. Oh yeah. 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 And was it was it satisfied? Did you did was it all you thought it would be? It was fun. I mean, you know, there wasn't like any kind of like, you know, like it wasn't like a French kiss or anything like that. No tongue. Yeah. Um, but just the fact that he kissed me was like, you know, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so mine was at Ohio skate in, uh, in Toledo, Ohio and Aaron Warren and I had, I love the last names, by the way, Rothschild, Aaron Warren. <laughs> so we were, uh, just finished a couple skate. Did you ever roll a skate? Very badly. 
Okay. So we used to go to disco Friday night roller skating all the time. And it was after a couple skate. And I was a pretty good skater. I was a pretty good skater. And I was pretty good on wheels. And we came off the skating rink. And I, we had our first kiss on roller skates, mm. which is a high degree of difficulty for a mm-hmm. kiss, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and Aaron Warren has never forgotten it. I'm still actually friendly with Aaron Warren. I, I can't say we're, we're, we talk all the time, but we're friends on Facebook and all that stuff. So uh, we joke about it a little bit. But yep, Aaron Warren on roller skates, my first kiss. I was in seventh grade, maybe. I was not an early bloomer like you. Now, was it um, was it like a makeout kiss or it was, it was just a makeout a kiss. kiss? It was a full oh, on I mean, makeout kiss. Wow! Yeah, and my first kiss was a makeout. How long did it last while you were roller skating together? That's like crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was. Um, I don't know. I think it probably was a. It was probably a full makeout. I probably went to a full makeout right away. I skipped the actual. Here's my first kiss thing, and went straight to probably like a lot of guys straight to making out. And Aaron was all in on it. So who provoked the kiss? Oh, me all the way. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, me all the way. I remember, you know, when the one, like, it was probably the second date, second or third date, maybe with my husband. Yeah. Um, we went to um, some restaurant up in Topanga Canyon. And I, probably halfway through the meal or three quarters of the way through the meal, I went to the bathroom. When I came back, we were sitting at a booth and he came and sat next to me and then he just gave me a kiss. And he said, and I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it was a makeout kiss. Yeah. And he says, I just wanted to get it over with. I See, that's wanted, a good way to go. Just that's wanted good, to do it. Yeah. Let's get the awkwardness over. Yeah. That's yeah. a smart way to do it. And the rest was history. You've been married now how many years? We have been married 17 years. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, um, I, I want to jump in with our guest here. He is a comedian, an actor, and a writer. He started as a stand-up comic before making his way to Hollywood to write for The Tonight Show, starring Conan O'Brien. He is an actor with a regular role on Blackish and a recurring role on Mixedish. And now he is the host of the brand new Friday Night Vibes on TBS. He and Tiffany Haddish co-hosting a double feature every Friday night. Dion Cole is here. Dion, thank you so much for doing this. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. How you doing? Everything is good. So uh, definitely want to talk about Friday Night Vibes, which is awesome. Uh, But I want to dig into your career a little bit first. I I want to know, what was it like your first night doing stand-up? Oh, man. Uh, Terrifying. (laughs) 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 It was was actually super terrifying, man. But uh, it was something that... That I knew was about to change my life, though. I, I, I knew it. When I, when, I, when I went home that night, I couldn't sleep. I just was like, yo, okay, so this is the reason why I am here. And so, yeah, it just went from there, man. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I, I know the drill. I, uh, I did stand-up. Our paths didn't cross. I, what, what year did you start doing stand-up? 93. Oh, okay. Like well, 93. All right. Well, I started. Do you want to say the year you started? Sure, I'll tell them. Um, I started in 79 was the first time I went on stage. And I did it for probably around 30 some odd years. Um, and I, oh. you know, yeah, yeah. Back in New York. 
at uh, the Improv in New York was the first place I went on stage. And uh, yeah, I, I, that that first night, boy, it's just scary, you know. Is just because seventy nine or five. Seventy nine. Wow. Yeah. So like, I came up with, um, you know, Seinfeld. And uh, I mean, Chris Rock wasn't even doing stand up then, you know, um, Eddie, Eddie wasn't doing stand up then. I'm, I met I met Eddie when he was like 14 years old. Wow. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Know, you got crazy story. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to ask you, I was watching some of your stand up, which is just so funny. I mean, you know, to me, so much of stand up is, is you, you know, it's like it's, it's who you are, you know, and you're. And you're 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 so comfortable, and and you got a point of view, and that that to me is, you know, that's it. Um, and so you you come on stage with a with a pad and a pen. <laughs> when when did that start? And is that something that's like part of your 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 stick? So when I first started doing stand up, I used to get so high that I just could <laughs> not remember my jokes, and I just could not remember it. I would go on stage and blank out and would leave because I could not remember it. And I remember one night, uh, it was like a paid show, which was like $5. And I needed that. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't remember what I wrote. And it's so funny. And I was like, I'm just going to have to read it. And I went on stage and I read it high and people were dying. And I uh, and I you know I killed that night, and so I performed somewhere. Then like maybe two nights later, and people were like, and I didn't have my notepad, and people was like, "Yo, where's your notepad at?" And I'm like, "I don't need it, you know. I know <laughs> I remember. I remember it. There's like, no, you got to do the notepad, and so." I was like, nah, but then like a couple of days later, I was like, let me just see. And I did it again. And man, it just was something that always stuck with me to the point where I was like, all right, I have to like not use this. I have to be professional and I have to use it, but it just became a part of me. And so I just always incorporated it because I, I came up in the game doing it. And so I always try to like, that's why when I do my stand up now, I do, I do my stand up. And then I do that in the middle and then I go back to my stand up. So it's like a portion of the show. Yeah. I, I, use. I didn't, doesn't Richard Lewis, when Richard Lewis was doing a lot of stand up, didn't he have everything written down and he was Sue? So, remember? Yes. He would always have a piano on stage, but he never played <laughs> piano. <laughs> and he had like, it was like a long scroll. Yes. It, it was wasn't scary. just, it wasn't a pad. It was a oh, scroll wow. of content. <laughs> and it was hysterical. <laughs> but, but what I love what you do is that you do your act and you, you talk about how you've incorporated it. Someone will, you know, you'll do a joke or like someone will say something which is really funny. And then you're like, hmm. <laughs> one and then, and then you write it down, and then you do callbacks to writing stuff down. Yeah, and that right. is what is so brilliant about yeah. it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I also, you know, I also think that the art of not being funny is funny, and I, and I and I and I learned I learned that 
there's a lot of humor in not being funny. Like, <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen it happen. So a lot of times when I read the notes off my, off my notes, jokes off my notes, I incorporate a terrible joke on purpose just to get the funny out of it not working. You, you get what I'm saying? Oh, so, totally. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just, I don't know. I've always found that. One day I had a, a conversation with Conan, and Conan was like, the goal is to make them laugh, right? And I said, yeah. And he was like, yeah. Even if they're like, even if they're like, this silly that this silly asshole, look at this silly asshole. And if they laugh by saying it, like, I look at this, this silly asshole. He said, they're still laughing, right? He was like, that's the goal. And well, I was, he, he said, there's many ways to make people laugh. And well, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Dan, what it's like to do comedy now. Because, I mean, are you like on a knife's edge all the time, worried about saying the wrong thing? Or do you just I mean, like dive like right that. in? It's it's definitely like that, but you just gotta go with the times, man. It's just it's just the times. It's like, you know, you adjust. That's exactly what it is. It's just an adjustment that you may have to make. A lot of comedians complain about it, definitely, but I feel as though that um it's an adjustment, you know, it's like anything else, you know. The things that we used to do, we can't do now. You know, people used to smoke on planes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, try that shit now. See, <laughs> see, where, see where it gets you. <laughs> well, you know, so, have you, you know, have you ever been asked not to talk about a certain subject before your act? Well, not me, but my opener, Ocean, Clapion. One time we were in Virginia, West Virginia. And we were ready to perform, and the, the the club owner told him, "Hey, man, don't do no no Trump jokes at all." And we was like, "What?" And he was like, "Yeah, don't do no Trump jokes." So we was like, "How are you just gonna tell us what not to do?" Because it's a big Republican state. Of oh it. yeah, I think Trump carried one hundred and six percent of the vote in. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, "Don't do it." And my friend was like, "All right." First word out of his mouth, fuck Trump. As <laughs> soon as he went on stage, <laughs> I was like, well, we're not getting paid. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's it's ridiculous. Friends of mine told me recently they did a show and the booker said, don't talk about the pandemic. And I thought, Really? I mean, what is your problem? That's like saying, don't talk about the sun. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, why would you not talk about the pandemic? Right, it's crazy. And, and this, was, this was the first live show at this place since the pandemic. Wow. That's and don't crazy. talk about it. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so how did you get from uh, stand-up to working for Conan? So, uh... I went on. I went on Conan. I did. I did a show in Aspen at the Aspen Comedy Festival, HBO, HBO Aspen Comedy Festival, and I met some people there. And my this guy named JP Buck met him, and we were talking. He loved what I was doing, and he ended up years later working for Conan when Conan's show moved to LA. And he was like, "Man, I want you to be a guest," and I was like, "Great." Hell yeah, I'll go. And so I went on Conan and 
man, uh, after I got off stage, Conan came to me and was like, just talking to me about everything but working for him. He was asking me if I had a great parking space and, you know, uh, where do I eat at? And then he was asking me, how often do I shop? And he was just like, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I had just gone off stage and killed. And I'm like, so I'm just talking to him too, like regularly. And then he left. And then I think like a week later, they was like, Conan wants you to write for him. Wow. And I was like, okay, what do I submit? They was like, nothing, just be there Monday. And I was wow. like, what? Showed up Monday, and man, the rest was history. Well, you are a very lucky man because I know what those submissions consist of. Man. And that is like, a, that's like, you know, getting your master's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to write a lot of content, and you have to write jokes. You have to write desk pieces. You have to write yeah. remotes. Um, exactly. So when you wrote on the show, were you dedicated to a specific area or did you just write everything? No, see, the, the thing was, I was trying to write like those guys. And first of all, Cone is the kind of guy that moves off vibes and feelings. Like that's that's the kind of guy he is. He moves off the way you move or whatever. And so um, he uh, that's the way he hired Andy Richter. He was looking for a co-host and he interviewed several people, all kinds of people. And one day he was on the elevator in Rockefeller Tower and Andy was on there going to a, a audition and they were talking on the elevator and then they went and had coffee and he hired Andy. <laughs> like, that's just like, that's just how Conan get down. So when I got over there to write, I already knew from him hiring me what kind of guy he was, you know, and I knew that he was the type of guy that was going to go off a feeling instead of like, you know, just somebody telling him who she, who she, who he should like work with. So I began writing like those other writers and they all had Emmys and they went to Brown University and all these different universities and they were very brilliant and smart and dissecting jokes and they were like, man, I tried to write like those guys and it just never worked. None of my material would ever make it on air. None of it. Like, like none of it was used and none of that. So I was like, I'm ready to quit. And so I was like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm I, I don't need to be here. Plus, I'm up at seven in the morning. I'm a stand up comic. I go to bed at seven in the morning. Like, why am I at work at seven in the morning? And so the week I was ready to quit, I had uh, really didn't care. And was sitting in a writer's meeting and they started writing a joke for Andy Richter about Oktoberfest. And I, I never knew what Oktoberfest was. And I just was like, what's Oktoberfest? And they was like, what? They was like, it's a German drinking day. I was like, everybody got drinking day except for black people. And they was like, what? I was like, we got Cinco de Mayo for Hispanics, uh, St. Patty's Day for the Irish. Now you got Oktoberfest for Germans. So I was like, well, everybody got drinking day for black people. I was like, that's some BS. And the head writer was like, write that up. And I was like this, what? They was like, write that up. And I wrote it up and gave it to Conan. And Conan was like, that's funny, but you should do it. And I was like, well, he was like, you need to come out on stage and do it. I was like, on the stage? Like, he was like, yeah. I was like, nah. He was like, yeah. I went out, did it. The rest was history. And so the game changed where me trying to write like these guys never did work. What worked was me being myself 
and me being me, clashing with Conan being him, <clears throat> which brought funny that they never seen coming. And so it was always this dynamic of me just being myself and him being himself and the funny just ensued or whatever. So I never was stuck to any type of program at all. As long as I was me in the midst of this world of Ivy League writers and Emmy Award winning writers and me being this fish out of water, led them to begin to write for me in the way that I write. So what's it like for you as a writer when a bit goes really well versus when a bit goes really flat? So you just have to keep moving when it goes flat. You just, it's just, I tell people all the time when it comes to stand up and writing, the heartache is the job. And I think a lot of comics that get into this business don't realize that that's the job. The job isn't making you laugh. That's the easy part. That's the part that everybody see and everybody praise you for. That's, that's the easy part. The, the job is riding home every night with no radio going, where did I go wrong? How can I make this better? And then you making it better. And then you go back the next night and it's terrible that night, or you got the joke right, but the audience is wrong. And then you go the next night and then it's like there's only a few people there and not enough people to gauge. And then it's those, the heartache is where it is. And even with writing, you write all this stuff for, you know, some TV hosts and they go, no, repeatedly. No, 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 no. And instead of you getting in your feelings about it, if you understand that the no that you hear is your job, then it's not going to hurt as bad. Like when they tell me no, I'll be like this. Okay, cool. Go write something else. Write something else. Write something else. And while you're doing that, you're also perfecting your craft as well, too. So. Yeah, you know, you got to shake it off. I, I would always, my analogy was always with sports. I'm a big sports fan. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'd go to a, I go to a baseball game and, you know, someone like Jacob deGrom, you know, get, you know, who's like the best pitcher in baseball right now, you know, there mm-hmm. are days, you know, maybe not frequent, not, not, not recently, but, you know, someone like him will get shelled for like seven runs. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. oh my God, how does someone like him not play well? You know, and that's just the way it is. You just have to shake it off. Yeah. I mean, I'm learning golf right now uh, and I have, it's impossible for me to shake anything off. Like I hit a bad, I mean, I literally am just starting, hit a bad shot. The entire round goes away. It's like I'm lost for the day, Uh, but shaking it off is, is, uh, is a tricky thing. And I would imagine not everybody can do it. You were at Conan when it was the tonight show and there was all that crazy stuff about, you know, cause it went Carson, Leno, Conan, and back to Leno. You yeah. were part of that weird stretch and that weird controversy. What, what was it like to be in that sort of uh, vibe? It was, I didn't even know history was being made. I had no idea. I, I was thinking basically like, okay, this is how TV really is then. I'm like, oh, this is wild. This is how television is. I was like, oh, he'll be back on the air in a minute and realized that they was like, no, he can't come back on the air for eight months, paying him 45 million. So we won't go back on the air and all of that. Like it was 
Like I was like, oh, and then keeping them off the air, keeping them off the internet to the point where only thing we can do is tour and we go tour and the country embraced us as if we was the Beatles. It was yeah. crazy. Everywhere we went, it was like Team Coco all day long, <laughs> shutting down hotels, private planes. It was the craziest. And I was closing out the show every night. It was like right before his last bit, I was the bit right before him. And I was doing stand-up every night, theater at the theater. It was bananas. And then when you guys jumped to TBS, did the standards change? Like, could you get away with more? How did the bits change? Like, when we got to TBS, it just became easier for him. It was more comfortability. It was less viewers, definitely, but he owned the show. And we ain't had to answer to nobody. We was able mm-hmm. to do whatever we wanted to do. And that's what we did, you know. So it wasn't no people in his ear talking to him. It was his show. He owned it flat out. Do what you want to do. And we did. You know, that's the feeling I get. I just started watching um, Blackish. You know, I, I kind of came late to the party. Thank and you. I have Thank so you. many friends who have been telling me, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. It's really funny. I know it's network television, but it is funny and it is smart. Yeah. And that's how I feel when I watch that show. I feel like you guys have so much control creatively. And it kind of surprises me because it's ABC. It's it's Disney owned. And the, yeah. the, the subject matter, um, I, I saw an episode where you did the, the Juneteenth episode. And yeah, way, it was be- like, way before people talked way about before, it. way before everything yeah. has been coming out. And mm-hmm. in the like in the middle of the show, it, it was like a Broadway production. It looked like Lynn Manuel Miranda yeah. had produced a Broadway show inside of it. Yeah, that's where the inspiration came from. It came from that. Yeah. Oh God. But uh yeah. now, so has there ever been any subject matter that ABC was like, uh uh-uh, uh, you can't touch that? Yeah, there was an episode that we were doing about the about the uh, election, and and ABC pulled it, hmm. and it never was aired. And I think that that was like, I think at that point that was a point where it was like, oh, so we we can express the way we feel about certain. There is something that you want to let us do, and to this day, I've never seen that episode. Hmm. Hmm. I remember doing it. Yeah. I remember seeing the whole thing. Yeah. So you do those uh, really funny Old Spice body wash commercials. The all yeah. I wanted was to have my own body wash, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great ad. How, how, um, how often do you get recognized from that? Because that commercial seems to run all the time. <laughs> man, all the time, man. People come up to me a lot, man, and they and they know me for that commercial, man. All the time, man. We actually just shot some new ones, and they'll be coming out uh, this weekend, this this Sunday. This Sunday is the first airing of them, and uh, man, I, I love doing those commercials, man. I love Old Spices. You know, a good partnership to be a uh, ambassador brand person for, and uh, yeah, it's great. Do you, do you get to improvise uh, in these commercials? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like they have writers and then I'm, I'm able to like add to it, you know? And so, yeah, absolutely. Like it'd be crazy for them to have me there <laughs> and don't take none of my ideas for this. So yeah, no, it's, no, it's, it's a collaboration. They have fantastic writers and then I come in and put my spin on it and yeah, we go. So now every Friday night, you are doing Friday Night Vibes with Tiffany Haddish. And I, there's something about Tiffany Haddish. Uh, it's, she's funny. She's, there's, there's a warmness to her. Uh, there's an unbelievable enthusiasm uh, in her. What, what for you makes her special as a performer? She, she's somebody you relate to. It's relatability. You can't, it's so many people you can't relate to. And that's what made her take off. It was, it was, people was like, oh, this is refreshing. This is a real woman. Oh, she paid, she got a Vera Wang dress and she wore the same dress to seven different functions. (laughs) That's a real woman. We love her. Yeah. Yeah. I think I want to hang out with her. Absolutely. No fakeness. I like Tiffany Haddish. And yo, that's been my baby girl forever, man. Like, man, we had another show. I had her on the show that I was doing called Face Value that was on BET. So, you know, for everything to come full circle, man, to be working back with my with my baby girl, Tiffany Haddish, man, I love her to death, man. Nothing like her, nowhere. And uh, that's the energy that we bring together, you know, every Friday on Friday Night Vibes. We sit there and... For the culture, by the culture, we sit there and we play movies back to back, and uh, you know, giving people that energy to you know, we we look at it like it's ground zero for for entertainment, interviews, movies. That's all we do, man. We ain't trying to uh, uh, invent the wheel like that. We just we just having fun, partying, having musical guests, celebrity guests all the time, and playing music comedy us cracking jokes and laughing about everyday things man and observational humor and just it's just having a good good time man on friday night man and that's what we do yeah it, it kind of got the feel like you're just sitting in your living room you know just just that's talking exactly to what, yeah yeah that's exactly what we do man we just have fun man and hang out talk to some people that you probably want to talk to and that's it so you got movies like Creed and Creed Two and Get Hard and Black Panther and all these great yeah. uh, films. Who- Central Intelligence, yeah, we got uh, Get Hard, yeah, we got a lot, lot of lot of movies in this. Fifty two weeks we have of this. So wow, all year long, fifty two weeks. Every week you'll see us interviews, movies, back to back every Friday. Every Friday, come party with us, everybody. Do you get any input into the movies? Actually, they do ask us. Well, actually, they just come to us and tell us about the movies, and we go, "Oh man, that's great. That's cool." Like every movie they didn't came to us with, we like, "Yeah, all right, that's great. Let's do it." But uh, we do have input where we can be like, "Hey, we need to get this movie and that movie and this movie, or whatever." And you know, during their lineup, they see what they can clear and what they can't. <laughs> no, but that 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 that's supremely supremely cool with, with, with anything that we need and anything we want. So, so how, how much stand up are you doing these days? I'm just starting back. I'm starting back to get back into it. Uh, I had a set that I had before the pandemic and now I have a new set after or during the pandemic. And, uh, I'm just working the kinks out, 
you know, and uh, getting it together. So uh, I got some dates lined up soon and uh, just seeing what happens. If anybody want to follow those dates or whatever or, or, or any announcements, you can go to my Instagram at D-E-O-N-C-O-L-E. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Or How long does it take to, uh, to put together a set? For me, a year. Mm. For our set, maybe a year. Yeah, maybe like a year. So I try to go places annually and never do the same material every year. That's that's my goal. But I end up doing maybe about 20% of stuff that I did prior. But then after that, that's that's basically it. Not, not less than 20% that, that I did prior. Everything else is new. That's great. And very impressive. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, and uh, the new show, we'll let everybody know, is Friday Night Vibes. As you said, 52 weeks a year, you and uh, Tiffany Haddish every Friday night at 7.30 on TBS. Hey, Dion, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Appreciate the conversation. Man, thank you all so much, man. Pleasure meeting you all, man. And thank you for sharing your platform. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Okay, take it easy. Dion Cole there. Sue, does that conversation kind of get the juices going to get back on stage to do some stand-up? You know, a little bit. And it's funny that you mentioned that because this past weekend, um, my friend Kathy Ladman asked me, do you think you'd ever do stand-up again? And I, you know, I said, I'll never say that I'll never do it again, um, but it would have to be the perfect situation. You know, probably if if I was retired and had nothing else, you know, that I needed to do in my life. Um, maybe. maybe Wait a minute, you're retired. Do you want to go through that anguish as a retired person? Well, well, what I'm saying is that I wouldn't have any other responsibilities. And, yeah, sure. Uh, it would be kind of liberating, you know, to to just kind of do it. It would be purely, purely for fun. I don't care, you know, if I'm making any money. It would just be, I'm just going on stage just to, you know, talk about stuff I want to talk about. Yeah. So, Sue, you and I do pretty well in the world. Uh, you, you're you set for life, I think, and I've done well. What are you smirking about? When you say I'm set for life, what does that mean? That what, financially? You, yeah, financially. You've got, uh, you know, you've got a yeah, nest egg. Millions. I got millions. I've got millions in the bank. They got a lot of cash. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've done well, thankfully. Thank God. Um, and I came across this thing. Warren Buffett, who is the sixth richest man in the world. He's worth over $100 billion. And I came across some reasons why he might be so rich. And I think we can both learn from this. All right. Mm -hmm. You ready? Mm -hmm. So Warren Buffett owns and lives in the house in Omaha that he bought in 1958 for about $31,000. Has never moved. Now, mm -hmm. I'm always looking for, like, the next thing. He just sticks right there. How long have you lived in your house? I've been living in this house since 20, I guess, 10 or 11. Will you so. upgrade to a new house? No. The only, the only, the next place we live is if we move out of California. You're Winnebago? Yeah. In, no. Well, maybe. Maybe. If we <laughs> maybe. got a bigger one. Yeah. We have to get a bigger one. Okay, here's another one. Starts his day with an egg McMuffin instead of a fancy breakfast. 
So are you asking me if I have an Egg McMuffin in the morning or what do I eat for breakfast? Do you, what do you eat for breakfast? Is it a fancy breakfast? It's not a fancy breakfast. No. I'll have a protein shake. That's it. Mm-hmm. Egg McMuffin, by the way, a per, I talked to some fitness guy somewhere at some point in my life, uh, says that an Egg McMuffin is like the perfect breakfast. You get some protein, uh, you get some carbs. What are you, you're smirking like uh, that's a terrible thing. They're I, delicious. I, yeah, I, I, I've had them. I've yeah. had them. Yeah. All right. So Warren Buffett always drives a late model used car. He looks for used cars that have been damaged so that he gets the best price possible. Can you believe this guy is worth $100 million? He's driving a late model used car. What are you driving now? I drive a Subaru Outback. Okay. Uh, and, I'm dri- and I'm driving a Mazda 5, which I get for free because I do commercials for my friend John Patterson at uh, OC Mazda. So I- I'm not spending anything there. All right. Doesn't have any expensive habits like golf and tennis. He plays bridge. Golf is, and I'm finding this out, golf is expensive. Now, bridge, I think of as an old lady game. Totally. I mean, you, you get to a certain age, and I think you, your bridge gene kicks in. Um, yeah, golf is expensive. But you know, I just have to stop for one second. So okay, stop. Is, 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 this, is this why he has so much money? I think it's the mentality. I think this okay. frugal this has mentality. nothing to do with why he has so much money. <laughs> no, I think these are the reasons why he has so much money. It has okay. nothing to do with Berkshire Hathaway. It's just all, all these <laughs> little things. Um, he used a Nokia flip phone long after smartphones were introduced, and now he's using an iPhone, but it's only an iPhone 10. He doesn't have the current model. Oh, so it's only an iPhone 10, iPhone, iPhone, iPhone 10. 10, exactly. Well, you know, that's ridiculous because that, then that, that makes me think that, you know, that doesn't go with everything else he's doing because an iPhone 10 is, you know, it's pretty close. But he's to stuck it. with that flip phone for a long time. Right, right. All right, he clips coupons. Oh, come on. Once at a McDonald's, according to Bill Gates, Buffett pulled out coupons for a free sandwich. <laughs> what was the last time you, this, by the way, this is why he's so rich. It's okay. the coupons. That okay, makes a la- huge difference. The last time I used a coupon actually was at Best Buy, not Best Buy, at um, Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, yeah, we all get those 10% <laughs> for, for my off soda coupons. stream refill, the <laughs> yeah. cartridge. Yeah, we all get those big uh, discounts for uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. But he's clipping coupons, Sue, like, like my mom used to do when I was a kid. This is why he's so rich. Yeah, really. He has worked in the same office building for more than 50 years. No fancy office for him. Yeah. Does, and did he tell anybody that he owns the building? <laughs> this, again, <laughs> why he's so rich. And the last one, when Buffett had his first child, he didn't want to buy a bassinet. So oh. he converted a dresser drawer into a space for the baby to sleep. I thought you were going to say when he had his first child, he gave it away because he didn't want to spend the money raising it. <laughs> no, a a drawer instead of a bat. Again, this is why he's so. What is this, what is this Gone with the Wind? <laughs> he used a dresser drawer. Oh my god! These are all true facts. All true facts. Yeah, well. they're on the internet. All right, uh, and the last one. Buffett values, and I think this is the takeaway, Buffett values relationships over physical possessions. 
In 2017, his daughter did an interview with People Magazine, and she said, it's really true that he does not care about having a bunch of money. I don't think people realize he's got a bunch of great grandchildren, and he could tell you everything about what they're all doing. He knows every one of those kids, and he knows about their lives. Yeah. Isn't it funny how the people who have a ton of money always say, eh, I don't really care about the money. Really? <laughs> Does, and you that know bother you? Does this bother you, this whole conversation? A little bit, because he doesn't pay taxes. Wait, does Warren Buffett not? Is, was he one of those guys that didn't pay taxes? I think, I think, I think he, he, I'm almost positive. I know it was Bezos. The guys on the list that and I know pay. it was Elon Musk. It was Bezos. Right. I think it was Warren Buffett, too. Yeah. Well, if I'm wrong, is, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I think it is. This, but, but it, but it really lessons, is true. There are lessons to be learned here, don't you think? Not really. When you have a baby, <laughs> convert a dresser <laughs> drawer into a bassinet. That's right. what I took from that. And when I have I millions and millions of dollars, yeah, you'll you'll never hear me say I don't care about the money. I will be very happy to have millions and millions of dollars. All right, there there you have it. That is, uh, I just wanted to give the reasons why okay. Warren Buffett is so rich. All right. All right, so uh, when my man Jacob knew he wanted to become a lawyer, he decided to focus on personal injury because that is the best way he felt he could help others. And Jacob also realizes that sometimes if you need help, it isn't necessarily in the middle of the day during the week. That's why Jacob and his team are available 24-7. If it's the middle of the night, if it's the weekend, call Jacob. You will speak directly with a highly trained team member who will assist you. Jacob offers free consultations. You don't pay Jacob a dime unless he wins your case. And once you become a client, Jacob will hold your hand through the entire process while he fights to maximize your compensation. Jacob is a real friend of mine, a real person, a real attorney. He's my attorney, and that's why he should be your attorney too. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Or remember accident or injury call jacob and ronnie call jacob Jacob. (laughs) now to me that sounded right on no you're you you are on on such a delay (laughs) 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 all right uh there you have it there is your culture pop podcast that was fun sue that was was a lot of fun yeah got to relive some of your stand-up days and uh Mm -hmm. this is in your wheelhouse talking about stand-up comedy i thought that was cool Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And uh, thanks, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or on iTunes and uh, rate and review us. Always appreciated. And we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>